Okay, let's take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we'll be in verse 32. And the title of our message today is that he didn't have to come. We're told that Christmas is the season of giving, right? We see movies about giving. We see movies about giving grace. There's an article that came out in the Washington Post several days ago, actually December 18th. And the article by Kathy Lynn Grossman is, is entitled, Christmas in America, Belief in the Virgin Birth and Visits from Santa. All right? And here's what the survey found from the Washington Post, that bastion of conservatism and Christian fundamentalism. of adults believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. This is according to a Pew Forum poll. Now, I find that very interesting, don't you? That in an age of increasing secularism, right? More and more people are are turning secular. And and by that, they say that, you know, belief in in God or or in any deity doesn't really have a relation to my life. But still, 73% believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. But then the article becomes even more interesting, and it begins to talk about not just the Christmas story, but about how Christmas is often viewed in our culture today. And check out these statistics. 33% dislike the commercialism or materialism of the holidays. In other words, people making a buck off of Jesus. Another statistic, 22% complain that the holidays are too expensive. 10% dislike shopping in crowds. I don't know why that's 10%. That should be more like 90%, right? And all the anti-shoppers in here said, yes. And it it has another statistic that I thought was very pertinent for us today. And 86% of people claim that gathering with friends and family tops their priority list during the Christmas season. And as we grow older, our sense of gifts change, don't they? When we were kids, it was that toy in Toys R Us that we that we wanted. And then when you turn a teenager, you want that gift and it has an ignition and it has a set of keys and you put gas in it. And you get in a wreck within your first month and your insurance goes through the roof and you have to get it. And then when you get into being a young adult, you, you, you have a gift. If you're a lady, you, you want that knight in shining armor to show up. And if you're that guy, you want that, you want that woman that you're going to love and cherish for the rest of your life. And then when you grow older, you, and you're married, you're like, you know, it'd be great to have, have some kids. And then, then you have kids like that Coke commercial, you know, and they have the kid and everything's just getting destroyed around the house. And she comes in and she tells uh, the husband, like, I'm pregnant. And he kind of has this face that turns terror at first, but then he's just like, and then he just jumps and he grabs a hold of his wife. He's he's kind of like, it was good. It was good for a secular company, Coke. It's this thing like, you know what? We, every stuff is on the floor. And when I try to go to the restroom in the middle of the night, I step on stuff and scream and that wakes the kids up. I mean, all of these things, but boy, there's another life here. It's worth it. You see, it's worth it. It's worth it cleaning up the messes and it's it's worth having to endure sometimes sleepless nights because the older we get and the more mature we grow in christ we see that gifts 
true, real, desirable gifts are less material and more immaterial. Right? There's one of my friends from college. And his dad passed away from cancer a couple of years ago. And he said, his name is Carson, he's this big strapping guy who played offensive line in high school. His dad was just a big strapping guy too. And he says, you know what, when it was his dad's last moments, you know what his dad wanted? He wanted everyone in the family, those close friends to be gathered around. He was a man who knew Jesus Christ. And it's very interesting that whether you have a person who's been saved and born again, or whether they are lost, they don't even believe in God. When it comes down to those moments, they want the people that they care about the most, don't they, to be around there and with them. They're not looking at the 401k. They're not looking at, is the grass up to the neighbor's standard? They're not looking to say, what is, what is the next thing in the stock market? They say, give me people. Give me people that I love. And through this secular survey and the secular newspaper, we find something very, very interesting. And that's that when we look at the Christmas story, so many people today still hold on to big parts of it. But there can be a disconnect between our belief and our practice. And we're going to talk from Romans chapter 8 and verse 32 today. On this subject, he, speaking of Jesus, did not have to come. And that may be a little bit radical for some of us. But Jesus didn't have to come. And our driving thought to kind of push that idea forward is that grace always trumps obligation. Look look at the text with me. Romans chapter 8 verse 32. The Bible says, He who did not spare his own son, but what? But gave him up for whom? For us all, how will he not also with him, speaking with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Let's read that one more time. The Bible says, Romans 8.32, He, God the Father, who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how, and here's the question, How will he not also with him? In other words, how shall God, who is the greatest gift giver, how shall God, the greatest gift giver, with the greatest gift, a.k.a. Jesus, what? Graciously give us all things. You see, the point here, and you can follow along in your outline, is that God was not under obligation to send Jesus. There was nothing in the annals of the universe that said God shall create a Christmas story. When God creates the world and the people mess up everything, God is somehow obligated to send a sacrifice to pay for their sins. No, God is not obligated to do any of that. And you say, now Jeff, it seems that some some people have told us that Christmas is really about giving, isn't it? Let me just say a word. Um, I don't know if you guys heard a roar yesterday afternoon around 1 or 1.30 in the afternoon. But if you did, if you were sitting at home watching a football game and you heard this rumbling, I would put money, and I don't bet, that it was the kids at the Happy, Je- Happy Birthday Jesus party. I just want to say a word of thanks to all of our children 
workers and our volunteers. We had something like 60 people back there. I mean, no joke. There were kids literally everywhere. I was like, like running, you know, and I'm glad, I'm glad we didn't have something. Stop running in the church, right? Those people. I just made somebody mad. But we are the church, amen? And we're not saying that we're, you know, letting them play with steel bats and, you know, get on real motorcycles and ride them around inside the church. But what we're saying is that God has given us this facility to use for His glory. And what a precious, amazing thing it was. I mean, we had music. Gilly kids, y'all killed it. Even, it was awesome yesterday, last week, played in here, played in there. We had like, uh, we had like, like skits and stuff. And then it was, it was great for the ADHD. Uh, I, they were hand, handing out little hand instruments to a room full of kids after they had been sugared up with cake. I mean, it was just amazing. And you just saw some of the kids get those little, it was like two sticks. If I was a kid, I'd been like ninja time, right? Like Donatello. And they were just like banging and they were playing along with music. It was the most amazing, beautiful racket you've ever heard in your life. And I thought about that as, as I was letting this message soak. When the Bible says, look at it with me again, that he sent his own, his own son. You see, Christmas is really about the greatest gift. The greatest gift to our grace. What is not deserved trumps obligation. It's where God not just gives, uh, you know, something that he has created over here, right? But he has given his very own son. And if you're taking notes, our driving thought is that grace, let me define that. Grace, according to the Bible, you could say it like this. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, um, and by the way, a lot of people around this time of the year, they say happy holidays. Don't say that to my mom. Some of y'all know where this is going. So, you know, because the thing is, we don't want to offend anybody today, right? Like businesses don't want to say happy or Merry Christmas because someone may be offended. And since you're here, Merry Christmas and Merry Christmas with a cherry on top. Amen. Right. Don't 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 feel weird about saying Merry Christmas. But she's almost like people say that, you know, happy holiday. She's like, Merry Christmas. You know, and, and she's she's. She wants to get the, she wants to get the point across. She's not rude, but it's so interesting. We see from the Bible the concept of grace. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. You can use your hand. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, G-R-A-C-E, His riches of of rescuing us from what we would be. And just just to note, we covered this several weeks ago. We don't try to just do things to be shock jocks or to make people upset unnecessarily rocking about this church, but we love people and we'll say it again that all good people go to hell because they are trusting and worshiping. They are relying upon their own goodness as opposed to the goodness and the perfection of Christ. If you consider yourself to be good enough to get to heaven today, you are an idol worshiper no different than someone in a village in a jungle, bowing down before something that was made out of their own hands. Because you're worshiping something that you've made out of your own mind, a God to suit yourself. And it goes like this in America very often. Now, Jeff, we just read that section about God giving up his own son. Jesus is great. Church is good. We enjoy Sunday school. But you see, Jeff, at the end of the day, I'm a good person. No, sir. I am not a good person. You are not a good person. 
because we are comparing ourselves, if we think that we are good people, to the wrong what? The wrong standard. The standard is God and who He is and His perfection. So the message to people who know that they're jacked up and those who just found out is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and experience the love and forgiveness that only He can give. So grace always trumps obligation. And in our application time at the end of this message, we're going to go through, through some things that I hope will hit all of us. And it's basically this concept. Many people today, they live their lives wanting grace, but refusing to give anything but obligation. They want people to forgive them. They want people to, to accept them, but they're not willing to forgive and accept other people. But what we see in the story of Jesus is that God goes above and beyond every call of obligation and duty. And he gives grace to the most guilty. So number one, contrasting duty and grace. Number one is that God was not required to send Jesus because no one deserves grace or forgiveness. Then notice in this passage again that Jesus is the son of God. He is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. It wasn't that God created him at a point in the past. It was that Jesus always has been. Now, most of us, we don't mind giving away something that's not ours. But whenever it becomes ours, it becomes a little bit more difficult to give away, doesn't it? We can go back to the nursery and see that. To where kids latch on to what they think is theirs. And do we realize that everything that we have in our life is on loan from God? I mean, my 1999 Toyota Corolla. Please don't covet. All right? With a lot of miles on it. That's not really mine. My family, my mom and my dad, everything that I own, that's not truly mine. Because what is yours, you truly have attachment to and if i get sick and die then all of those things will no longer be my property right okay so then why do so many of us spend so much time fantasizing about having the newest thing we okay you see there's a multi-billion dollar industry out there that fuels itself by making you unhappy with what you have and not only with what you have, but what you look like. Y'all okay? We need some people in the church of Jesus Christ to say, you know what? God has given me his greatest gift. That's Jesus. He's given me the greatest mission, which is like what we saw on the screens a few moments ago. The J.D. Greer, pastor of Summit Church um, down in North Carolina. He said, that how can we experience the gospel? How can we truly experience what it means to be changed by one who loves us and who's died for us and yet be very passive about billions of people living in spiritual darkness? You see, the call of God is to emulate him by a first obeying him. And when it says that he has given his only son, it means that there's nothing greater than God could give than what he has given. And everything that we have is his. I've been thinking about this for, for, I guess, several years now. Um, you ever talk to a self-made man or a self-made woman? Okay. The ones that they started off with nothing, and they, they just pursued that American dream. They, they worked hard. They applied themselves. And now they are where they always wanted to be. 
But yet, who was it who gave them the the physical health to be able to continue? It was God who gave them the smarts to be able to even start and get into that school. They got that degree that landed them that, that good job. It was a gift from God. Who, who was the one who put them around people, who kept them away from things that would have made them less successful? It was God. You said, how could that person have progressed and done all those things in their life? Because God is so good. But if you progress to the highest pinnacle of what it means to be a success in the United States of America, but yet you turn away from Jesus Christ and he is not a part of your life, it's all a waste. And the call of God, and sometimes it's like this. Some of y'all say, man, Jeff, we come in on Sunday morning and you get so worked up. I mean, they even have a new microphone that will work better so you don't have to yell. Like, why, why do you, why? I mean, we can hear you, bro. Like, we can hear you. I've got... Maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, maybe 50 minutes sometimes. We've gone to 55-minute sermons in the past. But everything out there, unless you are disciplining yourself to get into God's Word daily, tells you, show up, sing the songs, give to the regular budget, give to the international missions offering. Those are all good things and you're a great person. But, But just consider... Following Jesus all the way. And what we have so often is we come and we've got one foot in the world and one foot with Christ. So the reason why sometimes I I come across, I hope that it doesn't scare you, but I hope that you don't walk out of here saying he doesn't care. Amen. With everybody who sings a song, choir, praise band, special music. Whether somebody gives a testimony here, we want it to come across that we truly believe this stuff, not as a show, but because we do. So sometimes we can get passionate about things just because they are worthy of being passionate about. When it says that God gave his only son, saying that he gave more than we ever could deserve. Remember that country music fans, that Tim McGraw song, Don't Take the Girl? Some lyrics go like this when the guy comes up and pulls the gun. It says, take my money, take my wallet, take my credit card. Here's the watch that my grandpa gave me. Here's the keys to my what? To my what? Car. Mr. Give it a whirl, but please don't take the girl. The point of that song is that people are worth more than property. Now let's let's expand our minds for just a moment and think about Jesus The one who didn't have to come, but the one who did come. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, the Bible says that when Jesus was being baptized, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You see, God didn't have to send Jesus, but He did. Second, God did not withhold from us what He had the right to withhold, which was Jesus, the greatest treasure. Now that word spare there in the same verse, it says that God did not spare his only son. To spare, it means to cause someone not to be troubled. And if you read your Bible closely, you'll notice in the Old Testament especially, that God spared many people, didn't he? He spared Noah and his family from the flood. Why? The Bible says that Noah and his family, they were righteous and they followed God. God spared the Israelites in Egypt 
When the death angel came, and, and this was kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus who would come and be a sacrifice and shed his blood for us, that they were supposed to sacrifice a lamb and put, and put its blood over the doorpost, and the death angel would pass over. The point for us being that if we have been saved, if we have trusted in Jesus, then, then the wrath of God has been forever satisfied in him. Amen? That we don't have to fear, but he's given us peace. But he spared the Israelites. But a theme that you see through the Old Testament is that God spares the righteous, but allows judgment to fall on those who have rejected God's voice. But here in the New Testament, we see all of that turned on its head. We see, now check this out for a moment, Jesus, who is the righteous one, the innocent one, the perfect one. I mean, imagine being Jesus' brother or sister, and he did have brothers or sisters. I mean, imagine that. Why can't you be more like your brother? I don't know. He's just God in the flesh. But here is Jesus, the, the ultimate in every way. But yet Jesus, notice, was given over, given up. He was not spared for what he didn't deserve. So that, so that the most guilty ones could go free. That is called irony. That is called Almost paradox of paradoxes to where the perfect one who deserved everything good but received all of the collective evil and suffering and pain of the world being pressed down on him when he was on the cross. He did that so that the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a reversal of the precedent. And here we see, we see God. God who is not bound like we are. God doesn't have a duty other than to his own nature. And this is for our, for our thinkers this morning. You say, Jeff, could God do anything that he wants to? No, God acts according to his nature. His nature is good and perfect and holy. Therefore, God cannot lie. God's obligation is to fulfill his own word. Because some people will, will say, now hold on, Jeff, you're telling us that morality is rooted in God and the reason why murder is wrong is because it violates, it goes against the nature of God. Well, what if God just chooses that murder is good? God would not, could not do that. And it's not because God has a weakness or a limitation. It's because he's so full of life and love and everything that's good. It means it's almost like somebody who couldn't possibly ever get a math problem wrong. To quote Millard Erickson. It means somebody who is, who is so, like a soldier who's so in tune with his duty that he could never run in the face of the enemy. It's like a person who is so faithful in their marriage that even the thought of marital infidelity, it, it couldn't even exist in their mind because they're so perfect. But yet God's not like us. Have you ever said something you thought that you shouldn't? After you said it, and you're like, dude, what, what was I saying? I think I won the argument, but I have no idea what I was talking about. Or, or, or I was, I was talking, I was with my friend here, and then I just, I just, or my family member, and I said something, and we say this all the time, right? And I didn't really mean it. And now there's this blockage in the relationship. Why did I say that? That's not God. 
When God says something, it's because it comes from who he is. And because he is essentially good, his word is good. So therefore, when Jesus came, it was a fulfillment of God's prophesied word. Man, if you're a skeptic today, we love you. If you're an agnostic or an atheist, we love you. Amen, church? And we're glad that you're here. If you don't claim to be religious, we are absolutely excited that you're here. And listen, we would just plead with you to consider the weight of the evidence of God's word. That Jesus didn't randomly come on the scene, but he came and his life dovetailed and perfectly fit the prophecies that said a Messiah would one day come. And notice who Jesus was sent for. Not for the angels, those majestic beings. Who chose to follow God, right? When Satan had some of them follow him. The great rebellion in the beginning. It doesn't say here that God sent his son to, to die for, for animals. Because animals don't have that, that, moral, that moral capacity. And I love animals, right? Dog person. And then we have cat people here as well. And maybe horse people or whatever it may be. And, and it's just amazing how those animals can sometimes give you give you affection. And like when you walk into the house, the person will be like, where you been? The dog's like, you're my hero. We love, we, I mean, we, we see so much value and so much worth in just, a, just an animal. That's why so many people, there's even pet therapy now where they take a little dog a sweet dog or big dog whatever it is into a nursing home or into areas of the hospital where people are depressed and they see that dog and that dog's like i love you i don't even know you but i love you and the person people can pet the dog and it it helps people but he was not sent for for the the angels the highest in creation he wasn't sent for the animal kingdom that they just don't have a moral dimension but Jesus was sent for us all. The us all incorporates liars, thieves, pornographers, murderers, people who hate, people who lust, people who are ungrateful, people who have that chip on their shoulder, which is ultimately a rebellion against God, which says that I deserve better. It has to do with the unfaithful. It has to do with the cowardly. It has to do with every every single one of us are within that all. And everyone that is within that package, that sphere of all, are all sinners. And finally, number three, we see that God, in giving Jesus, in going above and beyond the call of obligation, is that no good thing is off limits because God has already given us Jesus which is the greatest gift. Let me give you a statement from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, quote, So if you and I regard the ethical teaching of the New Testament as something that cramps us, now let me stop right there. You know what most, especially guys my age today in America, you know what most of us guys believe? That if I follow Jesus, all of the fun is over. To use an 80s Ford slash 90s expression, if I truly follow Christ, it will, quote, cramp my style. He says, if we think of it, following Christ, if we think of it as something narrow and restrictive, it means we have never understood it. The whole purpose of the gospel is to bring us into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And these special injunctions or these commands are simply particular illustrations of how we may arrive 
at that and enjoy it. In other words, Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying, you know what? If we understand the Bible to be a restriction upon our freedom, we have misunderstood the Bible. But if we look deep within God's word and we see that he is able to free us from our fears, he is able to free us from addictions. Amen, church. Do you believe that God can change people's hearts? We believe in life change. We've seen it. Jesus Christ can change people. He can come in and make everything brand new. He can take fractured and broken relationships and mend them back together for His glory. You see, but God's giving is always rooted in sacrifice, is it not? Senator Jeff, you said the point of Christmas was giving, absolutely. Can you imagine what it was like there to be back when Jesus came? You notice that God did not send Jesus as a full-grown man and He showed up on a white horse and He pulled out this double-bladed, razor-sharp sword. And he says in this deep baritone bass voice, I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. All who will conquer, follow me. And he went from town to town and the men, it's almost like Braveheart part two. They're just, they're into it because he's appealing to this desire to conquer. No, no, no. God sent him as a baby. We sometimes gloss over how crazy that actually is. You realize that God chose to send the Savior of the world as a baby? I don't know too many babies that are known as great warriors. Now, they can keep great warriors up. But a little baby? I mean, I mean, it's just it's a child. An infant. You could be... Pathetically weak for an adult, but if it came to a confrontation, you could, you can manhandle a child to get him in the car seat, whatever it means, because they're a baby, but God chose to use humble means to bring great men down. You remember who the angels came and appeared to? The shepherds there? I'm telling you guys. See, really, when you read the Bible, put yourself there. Shepherds were were, were a low caste in that day. They were, they were the low guys in society. Now, can you imagine they're there and angels show up? You're a shepherd. You're hanging out with other shepherds and you're herding sheep. And all of a sudden, boom, angels. And you turn to shepherd number two and you're like, did you, were those mushrooms you put in the pot or were they, were they mushrooms, right? I mean, it's, it, it, they were terrified. And that's what the angels said, do not fear. Isn't that good? Sometimes there can be fear. I mean, all of this was new. Everything that we, church and Christianity, there was a point where it began and God began the church and it was all new. If you're afraid of stepping out and following Jesus Christ because you don't know what to expect, the words of the gospel are do not fear. Shepherds said, angels, Mary and Joseph, when the angel came to Mary, she said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. When the angel came to Joseph, he didn't say anything. He just obeyed. 
And then when news of the king, this King Jesus, this little child came to Herod, he said, oh no. And the man who probably had every single disorder that we could name today tried to, to, to annihilate and destroy the king by killing all the other baby boys. But God is more powerful than powerful, wicked, evil people. Amen, church. And then once they had fled to Egypt and come back, they said Jesus was probably around two years old. Those wise men, those magi from the east. Now, we don't know how many there were, okay? Read the scripture carefully. There were three gifts, but we don't know how many men there were. And they came, and they laid gifts of a king before a small child that was born in a manger. All of that God didn't have to do. See, Jeff, what's the takeaway from all of this? Well, the takeaway, the action point number one, is that if you make decisions on obligation alone, it will lead to drudgery, boredom, disappointment in your life rather than freedom. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, if I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned and I have not love, I gain nothing. Galatians chapter 5, verse 3 says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. The point of that is that if we expect everyone in our lives to be perfect and we are not willing to extend grace then what we're doing is we're raising a bar so high that we could never keep it ourselves. Because Jesus has come and because grace trumps obligation. In other words, the people in your life that do not deserve your love or your forgiveness, we think, have I ever deserved God's love and forgiveness? No. Could I ever do anything to deserve it? No. Could I ever do anything to keep it? No. But yet God... Because he's more than I could ever be, has overcome me. And because of that, he has enabled me to give grace to other people. Number two, the action point. And it's a question. How can we receive the grace of God and yet not give the grace of God? Let me give you three texts. Number one, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 8. The Bible says in the last part of that verse, freely you have received and freely give. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38 says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. It's not like that bag of chips that you buy at the store, right? To where it has a bag that's this big, but only half of it's filled with chips. It means that when you go to Moe's and you get the takeout and they shake the chips and then they put more in there and they shake it more and you have absolutely as much as can possibly be held by the container, you get to take away. The Word of God says not just when you give financially, but when you give, when you give forgiveness, when you give grace, God will pour that out on you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And number three, and finally, are we willing to be surrendered to the greatness of the grace that we have been given? You see, now Jeff, a lot of this sounds so new. You see, the way I've lived my life is that when you offend me, I take up offense. I get angry towards you, and I hold on to that. What you're telling me, if I understand you correctly, is that following Jesus means full and complete forgiveness. Yes. Because grace always trumps obligation. You see, now, I I don't know if I could do it. The grace of God says, you're right, you can't. 
that Jesus has. You say, well, I don't know if I could, if I could stay, if I get saved today, if I trust Jesus today, I don't know if I could, if I could stay on that straight and narrow. I mean, what if I fail? The voice of God's grace says you already have failed. That's why Jesus has come. You say, well, 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 what will I do in the future? He says, I will never leave you and I will never, ever forsake you. You see, it's the voice of Jesus Christ that comes to us through the power of his spirit that says, I will be able to do through you what you could never do of yourself. And the greatness of the sacrifice that we looked at, once again, he who did not, did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God, through the blessing of his son, can give us what we truly need. And every single one of us, needs the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that begins with getting saved and that continues with being broken and walking with Him.